Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Area in the Air podcast. <laughs> this is the... Called the Art of Adventure. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> welcome. Let's do it again. Ready? Yeah. Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Art of Adventuring, the Area in the Air podcast. This is going to be a very special episode because we are going upside down where Wes Coughlin's Aries best friend, takes over his podcast and is the host. Now, Wes Coughlin has not listened to any of the other previous episodes, so he has no idea exactly what Aries' show is about, but he's sure it's outrageous. To give a little insight into who I am and what I do, um, I would say that... Wait, let's start over. Can we edit? No. Can we edit this? No. Okay. <laughs> so you're no just editing. you're just flawless all the way through. No, I just accept the imperfections and just let it roll. <laughs> just keep moving. You're doing all right. Really good. It's funner this way. You just it's riddled with imperfections better. <laughs> Usually when we're shooting video, we're like cut. <laughs> yeah, cut. There's no cutting. No, we're on. It's on. Okay. So as we said, Wes, this is me, the host. We are. Inside the Delft studio, which means we're in the sound room. We're sitting on this leather couch. We have a microphone between Ari and I. Ari's to the left of me. And it's Sunday afternoon, Super Bowl Sunday. Instead of enjoying the games, we're here talking about adventuring. I'm a filmmaker, and I make series and commercials and documentaries. I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the best action sports athletes in the world, you know, X Games gold medalist winning uh, snowboarders, some of the world's best base jumpers and wingsuit pilots. I've even worked with a couple NFL Super Bowl players. True. <laughs> to add to that list is Ari Delashman because he is no exception to any of those people, in my opinion. He's personally been one of my best friends since high school. And I get to see him every single year transform his life and learn and grow and get better and better. So it is my job on this episode to kind of dissect why Aerie is so great. I always get people who ask me, what does Aerie actually do for a living? Because they always see him playing all the time. And, <laughs> and I'm always laughing because, you know, I know the answer to it, but no one else does. And I think it's great time to actually get to the truth of the matter. So first off, I'm going to introduce Ari. Um, he is not only my best friend, but he is an amazing skier, amazing highliner, becoming an amazing paraglider pilot. He has several big achievements, I would say, even though, even though they might not have gotten the most attention in the world, but I've seen them and seen how hard they are. He set up the first ever highline on Polina Peak, which is amazing looking like i don't know he hasn't released the video or really shared that much about it but it is the first highline in highline in palina peak oregon he's set up some of the longest or the longest highlines at smith rock oregon he has gotten several international trips funded or partially funded through his outdoor sponsors and he makes a living doing all these activities so i think i think that it's really cool, Harry. Great job. Thank you, Wes. And he's a team member. He's a he's a helpful team member that helps everyone around him grow and learn and and be a productive human. So, Harry, welcome to the Upside Down episode. <laughs> yeah, honored to be here. 
Thanks for the flattering intro. I love you. Right now, we have... What are you drinking? I'm drinking Red Chair. I'm drinking Sage Fright IPA by Deschutes Brewery. So we got a Red Chair and an IPA. Deschutes beer. Delicious. Bend, Oregon. Since 1988, just like me. Since we haven't hung out in a while, what have you been up to? What, what has been getting you excited lately? Uh, well, lately, you know, I went to that Keen Ambassador Summit last week in Portland. Met a bunch of awesome co-teammates, co-ambassadors who inspire me to do awesome things. Since then, I've kind of invented this little uh, volunteer project down in Mexico. I leave here in just a couple of days. We're going to go clean up one of their, well, a city called Aguascalientes. We're going to clean up their best mountain slash hiking trail that also happens to have a paraglide launch on top of it. That's right. You went, you Keen flew you from Redmond, Oregon to Portland. <laughs> To do the Keen Athlete Summit, uh-huh. so talk. What what is that, and would you would you guys end up doing there? Um, well, Keen Footwear is an amazing fourteen year old brand from uh, what I think they started in somewhere in the Bay, uh, but now they're headquartered in Portland, Oregon, for the last eight years or something. Uh, they're a, ban- a brand led strongly by their values of giving back and protecting public lands and all kinds of good stuff. They're just a really great brand. And they have about a dozen of us. I think there's actually 14 of us ambassadors who all do different things from artists to athletes to conservationists to Charles Post, who's a cool ecologist guy. And so a bunch of people uh, who do cool things and Keen tries to empower them to make positive changes and what is your role on the team? Um, well, first of all, I'm the only Oregonian Keen ambassador, which I'm quite proud of. Uh, they all laughed at me that I flew a 26-minute flight from Redmond instead of driving the three and a half hours. Um, but I wanted to feel spoiled. And driving my, sucks. And driving sucks. And my wife needed the car, you know, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but my role there as the ambassador, I think... I think realistically, I bring a lot of enthusiasm to that group. I think I'm the multi-sport guy. There's a lot of people who kind of focus on one thing. I'm kind of the multi-sport guy, and I'm also the the filmmaker on top of that. So who, there's a number of awesome filmmakers in the group. Don't get me wrong. So you're 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 sponsored by Keen. They have an athlete summit. You're one of the athletes that's a multi-sport athlete, maybe similar to Jeff Shapiro, who's on the team as well. Yeah. And you guys went there and what was, what was your, why did Keen need everyone there? Well, in the last year, Keen has revamped their ambassador program. In the past, they've done really amazing, inspiring things, humanitarian work using their ambassador team. So basically starting nine years ago when Jeff Shapiro and Nick Grease went to a paragliding world cup competition in Ecuador and they saw a bunch of kids who were barefooted and they were looking through the trash trying to find things that they could wrap around their feet to protect their feet. So the next year, they basically went down with a duffel bag of 25 pairs of kids' shoes and they handed them out to the kids that were uh, looking for things to wrap around their feet. And that's kind of how the philanthropy started with with the Ambassador Program. Keen is a really amazing brand, though. They donated 18 months after they started, they donated their entire year's marketing budget, which was about a million bucks to the tsunami relief in the Philippines. So that just kind of shows their dedication from the very get-go to do good things. And What did you actually do there, though? 
at the summit. Yeah. Um, well, we basically for two days, we go into the conference room and every different department comes in, gives us their presentation of how they'd like to integrate with the ambassador team. The first of which was the creative department kind of coming in, telling us where they are, what they're trying to do with the brand, the direction, the values. And then it was the development team came in and basically asked us question about what shoes we wear. What do we like about them? What could they improve on? What shoe would we, would we wish them to make? That kind of thing. Uh, we met with the uh, events department to talk about the things they do. And we met with the legal team to talk about how exactly they want us to represent the brand online and blah, blah, blah. And so really just going for a couple of days and getting to know one another as ambassadors and also getting to know the brand and how they want to integrate the ambassador program into each phase of their brand from creative to social to legal to product development and design. So it was less of like actually doing any any sort of activity. It was more like they want to pick the ambassador's brains all the different departments and, totally. and also maybe have like a team building yeah. exercise I mean, on top of it. Yeah. The, the only real like physical activities we did when they, when they tried to take like a team photo, uh, they had a hard time getting the team photo because we were in this like empty room that was like brick walls and had like old like rafters above it. And so all of us just start like climbing. We start doing like laybacks on the beams and we're climbing up the walls of the room and then like doing these traverses under the, under the beams on the ceiling. And so you're really bored. It, yeah. We were, <laughs> we were kind of bored at that point, but, um, yeah, we didn't do much physical activity, lots more drinking and eating and bullshitting and socializing and laughing and sharing our stories and that kind of thing. It that was, sounds, it that, was dope. That sounds really fun. I noticed, you know, coming from like the, the filmmaking advertising world, I love all the stuff Keen has been doing with their marketing because it's it's more like playful than everyone else it is, yeah. and it's not it's not so much like we're in the outdoors and it's inspirational it's it, yeah it's really realer they have a much realer ethos they're really cutting through a they lot of stuff and I'm really proud of them as a brand and this was my first ambassador summit you know they do this every year and this was my first one and I think I set myself apart in just one simple way which was bringing my mom <laughs> I brought my mom, brought her to the to the big the first dinner, and <clears throat> let her stay in my hotel room that they had rented me. And, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and they thought that was hilarious. <laughs> they, everyone loved that, and my mom was a huge hit. So shout out to my mom and to Keen. Right, that was uh my mom was hugely popular, and everyone talked about her for the rest of the time. <laughs> and I think this is a really great time to talk to you because, as you said, this is your first time going to the Keen Ambassadors, and a lot of times when I listen to podcasts and stuff, it's a lot of people who have a lot of accolades already set up where they gone through like every, you know, so many steps and then they're kind of like world champion, successful, whatever person. You're kind of like at the like middle way up the steps right now. And I see a lot of friends, you know, when we grow up and stuff, they, they don't even make it this far into this world at all. And now you're, you know, all your hard work over the last literally, what, 10 years is like now starting to, to sort of like pay off. Like, what is the turning point from going some, from what you would say, like, you know, a really good college ski bum into an athlete who's getting trips internationally paid for and getting invited to go into these ambassador summits at a giant company's headquarters? Like, what is the turning point there and how do you get there? <sighs> That's a great question. Um, and, and honestly, I think that if it's taken me this long to do it, maybe I'm not the best person to ask, right? But... 
uh, I've learned my way, right? I've kind of done my way. And, and for me, it's been, it's been, uh, kind of a, a realization of what exactly the value of me as an athlete is and realizing that I'm not the guy that's going to win the X games. And I'm not the guy that TGR is going to land on top of a mountain with a helicopter and let me do my thing. Which do they still do that anymore? Yeah, they do for a dozen people in the world. <laughs> but uh, you know. maybe like for five days out of the year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but for me, really, I feel like it was kind of a it happened with the back end understanding. And that's a lot of, you know, credit into into the role you've had in my life and getting into filmmaking and commercial everything and kind of working from the, the backside with these kind of brands as my client and then translating that experience of, of working with them and finding out what exactly they want and trying to deliver that as best as I can. That kind of translates just directly into being an athlete because as an athlete, your sponsor is your client. Um, I feel like that's true for an athlete like me where I'm not on the X games. You know, if you're an X games athlete, the athlete is kind of catering to you to try to support you to go as high and as far as you can, because that, that helps their, their name helps get their name out there. But I don't have that kind of clout. I don't have that kind of following. And so the brands that I'm working with now are kind of more interested in me telling my stories and, you know, telling my stories and being a good person and, being able to write and articulate and share with people my passion and what, but what are like, okay. So most kids think that you just have to be really great at your activity or your sport, which, which you, it's true. If you get to go into like the contest world, you're competing on like whatever the world circuit is for that type of um, sport. But if you're not going to be in competitions, what are the other skills that you need to develop as an athlete to start getting meetings and introductions to these brands and start communicating your value outside of competing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. That helps. I would say that the number one skill that you have to learn if you want to take anything that you do that's cool and leverage it for some kind of leverage, whether it's through the media or a sponsor or whatever, the number one thing is storytelling. You have to learn to tell the story, whether that's making a really cool video about things that you're doing. That's not just an action montage of like you doing cool flips and tricks. It's actually talking about why you do something, how you do it. You know, there's, there's a million, there's endless stories out there, but you have to learn to find them, craft them and deliver them. And what is the, you know, I've been behind the scenes a little bit with you when you are like first approaching different brands and companies. What is What are some of the materials that you actually put together to show and share these stories with them? Um, as far as like to gain a sponsorship or like moving forward with a sponsor, trying to show them. Like let's, oh. let's say I'm airy four years ago and I'm just trying to like break in and figure these things out. Like what would you recommend start doing? Um, hmm. Well, I think that in this day and age, if you're going to, as an athlete, start to do things that really are going to provide value in the future. They're really digital. So they are learning how to work with the content itself as far as capturing media from working the cameras to editing, to writing, to photography, to design, those kind of things where you can put your own resume together, your photo resume and, 
and deliver it and it's really stunning and really well done or writing your own blog posts and like creating an, an ethos and having a, a style that people can can kind of learn and latch on to. Um, I mean, in, in my past, I was lucky to to have the, the friends that I do. I mean, obviously, I think all the sponsors that I currently have, I would credit the connection with the sponsors to the documents that you made for me. You know, the Wes, just so you know, Wes created this like, you know, I told him I was going to make a demo reel for myself because we've been filming for so long. I have all this crazy footage. that's so rad, but I don't have like any way to, to really like just put it out there for people. So I, I told Wes, I was, I was going to make a, a demo reel for myself. So I start going through all our footage and trying to put this demo reel together. And Wes, just like at the end of my first day, just trying to bang my head against this thing to make it, he just got frustrated and kind of just started hacking it and just, just making it making it good and ended up just doing the whole thing for me and the same thing and and the demo reel is unreal it's like it's so good it's so fun to watch and show people the other thing that i created was a pdf right that was like a an athlete bio which like a pitch doc which i think i created it like as a word document and then wes got frustrated with that and just took over and did it for me entirely and that was yeah like a, a pitch document that basically just outlines who I am, what I do, why I do it, and had a little bit of my writing in it, had a lot of the photos and had some links to some videos. Yeah, so like I think that's one thing I see with a lot of these, you know, top performing athletes who aren't doing competitions. They all have these beautifully crafted kind of like bios and resumes that not only have, you know, all their accolades in there, they have great visual content, they have great copywriting, they have their social reaches. Nice design. Nice design. And it's kind of like it's professional. It's, it's, it's professional. It's professional, but it's it'd also be similar to like if you're an art student, like this is your art portfolio in yeah. a way. Like this is your portfolio of work you've have done. Um, what do you think? What do you since since you're in the midst of things now with with all these companies and brands, and I know you're always trying to figure out new ways to do new trips and new ways to get into these projects. What do you think companies are looking for now as athletes? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I still think that the old, the old style still exists. The X games, athletes, the really high level competition people, the people who are, uh, in the big ski movies and that kind of stuff. There's obviously a uh, return on investment for those brands to be backing those people. But I feel like the but it's gotten so small. Those the, oh, I agree. I agree. Those the the number of people that are getting endorsements on that level are shrinking every day. I agree, but they're still out there. And I think that that same kind of thing has kind of morphed and, you know, the people who do cool things or take cool photos and have 250,000 Instagram followers are instantly sponsorable regardless of their accolades or values as a person individually, just because they obviously have built themselves a giant megaphone that if they put a sticker, a brand sticker on the side of the megaphone, a brand can see the return on investment there. But I think that the people who are, let's just accelerate it a little bit. Let's just say, it, you know, five years down the road where I think that the, the high level competition athletes are going to get even smaller and smaller. I would say that it's the people who are really taking initiative and creating digital products on their own, you know, um, 
It's the people who are taking the initiative to learn how to edit and to self-shoot things. It's the people who are doing an adventure, creating the podcasts, curating the photography, making the film, editing it, putting it on the website, like without the validation of the brand, like asking them to do it first, right? Um, there's that, that one GoPro filmmaker, Mike something, what's his name? Mike Escamilla. Yeah, Mike Escamilla. Okay, so he used to be like a biker or something? Oh, he's on the Hoffman team, I believe. With okay, Daniel he's a BMX biker. Amazing biker. Amazing biker. And now, if you were to look at his digital products, you wouldn't know that he was a BMX biker because he's doing all these cool things and he's just wrapping it up into the cool, creative... I wouldn't call them story-driven edits, but they're like cool, creative, and, and really mm-hmm. engaging edits. And he's making that on his own. Just because he has a kind of an artistic mind and it has nothing to do with BMX. Yeah, I've hung out with Mike a couple of times. He's he's like, it's always scheming on like the filmmaking mindset of like, okay, like what can I do to go make some entertaining content? And we're at the we're at the GoPro Athlete Summit. His film was like the best film that they premiered because they had a little contest between all the athletes, and each athlete had to like make a film, and then there was like the finalists and stuff. And Mike's was kind of like this. Like a con- not like a one-y shot, not like a continuous shot, but it was one of those like match cutting shots mm-hmm. where like say he like jumps off his bike into a pool of water, and the next shot he like he's in the pops ocean. It, or he pops out of like a water fountain <laughs> yeah. like in the middle of like the city and like starts running, yeah. and he's like trying to get from point A to B in like the most extravagant way possible. So so to answer your point, to answer your question, I would say that in the future the athletes they're specific athletic thing is going to become less and less important. And the way that they craft stories, engage with viewers and promote their messages, whether that's a brand message or a personal message, that's, that's the new metric of athletes in the future. That's my, and we see that all the time my with opinion. at Delve, like we manage athletes like Sasha to Julian, the rock climber chick. She's like, you know, rock climbing has a pretty small, media outlet for films and stuff but for social media she is on top of it like she's doing a really good job and i these people like you know sasha and mike and 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 other athletes you can tell they're putting it's it's not like just fun to do it but they're actually putting the 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 work into it Mm -hmm. would you say it's a lot of work oh my god so much work it's so much work um i mean just to just to think about like to get the attention of that sponsor, you would either have to like hone a filmmaking craft to such a fine degree that you could get it, or you'd have to spend so many years doing your fun activities and spend all that time and money developing your skills. It's like either way you look at it, you're going to have to become an expert at a, a vast number of things to g- gain that traction, I think, in the future. And in this day and age, it's like dwindling. With that in mind, like, so if you're an aspiring athlete, you need to get really good at what you do mm-hmm. and you need to develop really good communication skills, media skills, filmmaking skills, photography skills, cooperation, cooperation, and all these connections before you'll even have any sort of dime return on from a sponsor to like pay to go do something. So what do you do in the meantime to while you're trying to, while you're trying to gain all those skills and attention, what do you, how do you support yourself? Mm, that's a great point. Um, 
Well, I think, I think that um, realistically, we could make an analogy that this is like a passion project, right? So I'm a current business owner, and I work my nine to five, and which is, I own a grocery store. Oh, this is hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> Making an analogy. So, <laughs> okay, a, so a high school college graduate kid owns a grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> okay, terrible analogy. Okay, let me start over. <laughs> okay, for me, let's just for me how it worked was obviously I rode the coattails of my uh, parental privilege that I had, which shout out to my parents for being my first sponsor. Which what essentially, like you're a trustafarian? No, I'm not a trustafarian, but my dad agreed to pay my freshman year's college tuition if I took a certain number of credits and maintained a certain GPA. Sounds easy. Sounds easy, right? And it was. And basically, I skipped as much class as I could to go skiing. And I would spend most of my extra money on gas just to get to and from the mountain, which required me to lower my overhead at every other turn in my life so that I had the money just to keep skiing. Um, and I think that's really important to, to note and to understand is, I mean, for anyone, for anyone trying to do anything that they want, you, you got to change the way you live ever so slightly so you can lower your overhead to give yourself the opportunities financially to continue honing your craft and learning and growing. So you're, it's like t making some sacrifices. Like you can't totally, you can't have it all, all at once. Um, I think, you know, you're going to have to save up for your GoPro. Then you got to save up for your MacBook pro and you got to save up for your editing software. And, um, in the meantime, you create things with the things that you have in, in hindsight, I think I could have done it better looking back. Um, I, I could have made it happen faster for myself. So what advice would you give to your 24-year-old self? My my advice that I would give to my 24-year-old self would be to create for no reason. Create for no audience. You know, we always talk about like like we're going to make this and then X is going to happen. You know, like these this many people are going to see it. Hopefully we get this many views, this much engagement, this much return on investment. Fuck that. That's not what it's about. You're you're you are every day throwing away your opportunity to practice and learn and grow and do. And so, um, and I, I kind of came across this realization like with you and your like Snapchat, like the things that you would create with Snapchat, like these little stories that you wanted to put together with Snapchat. I was like, huh, like no one's going to fucking watch that. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe five of our friends will watch that. Thanks. They will... They will all laugh. Mm -hmm. And the reason you do it is not so people will will watch it and give you accolades or a company will sponsor you. You do it because it's fun to make it. And it's a creative process. And it's like it's like being an artist, right? Yeah, sometimes I think that's my downfall where I'll just make something and I just really don't care if people see it or not. I'm just like, sweet, I love it. Yeah, Let's move I, on. I feel like our best videos are still sitting on our Vimeo account, password protected. No one's ever seen them. They were just so much fun to make. I like, um, I really like what you said of doing it for yourself. And I think I was interviewing, you haven't met him in person yet, but Kieran in um, London for this base jumping documentary. And Kieran's like, 
I can't talk a lot about the, the base jumping dock yet, but it's super cool. But Kieran is this guy who works for like, he's like a financial headhunter. He, he headhunts talent for other financial companies. Uh-huh. Super posh. Posh in the UK is kind of like, I don't know, yuppie, nice, if you don't know. And Kieran lives a life where no one knows he's a base jumper. And he's a fucking sicko. Like <laughs> he not only is a base jumper, but he's like an ex like like street motorcycle racer and like all these gnarly things. And I was talking to Kieran about that, like why he doesn't share that with like, you know, he doesn't share things on Facebook. He doesn't like share a lot about the things he does. And he's like he's like I you know, with base jumping, he goes, I think if you're gonna not be jumping for yourself you shouldn't be jumping at all. And he took it to the extreme where he's like, kind of like very low key with it. But I kind of feel like that's like almost with every endeavor that you want to pursue in your life. And you can see the people who are most authentic and the athletes are most authentic are, they would still be doing what they do, even if it was just for themselves. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that that manifests itself in the sustainability of any kind of creation project, where if you think to yourself, oh, I can make this thing and then I'm going to get a big following and then I'll get sponsors and then I'll be doing this thing full time. Mm -hmm. Well, your first eight videos, maybe 800 videos aren't going to get shit. They're not going to get anything. They're going to deliver no direct return. But, But what's happening there is that you're learning and you're learning and you're doing it. Hopefully you're doing it better every time. You enjoy it more every time. It's easier for you every time and you can make it more sustainable. And because the only way it works is if you do it and 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 create a machine that puts these things out. Let's switch gears real fast. You have been traveling all over the world from South America to Egypt or Morocco. (laughs) Morocco. Is that Africa? (laughs) That is. That's the tip of... That's the, the... Top of the bald head of Africa. And I'm super proud of you. Um, go through the Morocco tr- trip and explain, like, give us an like, explanation for one, why you did it, and two, what were the responsibilities as an athlete who basically soul produced it? Okay. Um, well, to begin this story accurately, I have to say that it was not my idea. It was my friend, Chris Hoyt, who is an amazing adventurer and self-funded professional photographer. He's like the coolest Instagram photographer that's totally self-funded that doesn't use Instagram. Oh, and that's a, to further sell <laughs> you know the story, I mean? this trip that you went on has got you like several spreads in Ushba magazine uh-huh. and a really cool film out of it. So there's, you know, the story is pretty sweet because you actually got some really amazing things yeah we did we did we we created you know and this was kind of the first project the first big travel project that i had had post realization that we're talking about that i was just like i was going to go and i was going to create it regardless if they were going to use it they being my sponsors who are trying to fund the project so it all started with my friend chris left me a voicemail and it said hey ari i'm going to go to morocco in 12 days you should come call me back Right. And, and Chris was, is a photographer. Yeah. He's a photographer and entrepreneur, inventor, tinkerer, one of my great all time friends. He was going to go and, and 
like he called me, left that voicemail. He was already like, he had bought his airplane tickets. It was, he was going by himself to adventure. And so I really wanted in regardless. And so my first thought was, well, can I make it happen on my own, on my own dime? And I really, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't afford it. And so I started calling my sponsors and I talked to Marmot and it was just like, I swear I had just been such a squeaky wheel about so many different things before that they had turned down everything that at some point they just had to say yes. And thank God it was the yes was on the Morocco project. How many no's did you get before Morocco with Marmot? I mean, when I get a no from Marmot, it's a no response. It's a no email response. Um, they're busy over there and they're my, they're my friends. I don't want to bag on them at all, but, um, I hope that in the future I can help them implement ambassador content in a better way than they have in the past. I think that's something we can work on over there, but, um, yeah, they just, they, I, I pitched them and I used the, you know, the pitch decks that you had helped me create. Um, and you know, over the years I had learned through osmosis, I think, uh, how to use illustrator and how to, you know, modify those documents. So I modified the documents and set up a, a pitch doc about this trip to Morocco and the places we were going and the cultures we were going to see and blah, blah, blah. And Mar and Marmot was into it. And so they gave me a couple thousand bucks, which, um, it didn't fund the entire trip. It didn't fund even my half of the trip on its own, but I put up the rest of the money myself because I really wanted the experience of going. And in that document, just to be clear, like, like you say, we're going to go do this and this and this, and then what's the value you're supposed to deliver to the sponsors? Like okay, those deliverables? So, yeah. The, the deliverables were in that case, and they actually came up with the deliverables themselves. Um, I had proposed certain deliverables, but this, they came back and they said, okay, we want a travel film two to three minutes in length. And we want X amount of photos for our anything use, mm -hmm. whether it's web catalog, social, whatever. So basically you're going over to Morocco as photographers and filmmakers and athletes, yeah. the team of two of you yeah. slinging gear, slinging gliders, gliders, rental cars, and riads, working and on the creative, and trying to like do all this yourselves. Yeah, totally. And I think, I mean, a big part of this is the big part of my, my leverage that I had was that I could say, look, this is my friend, Chris Hoyt, and his work is astounding. And I could show them his work. And I talked to Chris and I said, look, the only way this is going to happen is if I leverage your photography for their use. He says anything whatever they need from any photo or any piece of video we take, it's all, they can have it all as long as you can come with me. Right. So, so like shout out to Chris Hoy for being just a generous, selfless friend that is indicative of my success. Right. These are the kind of friends that the, the only reason I am where I am is because of this kind of friends, right? So the Wes's and the Chris's. So you're not a self-made man. No, absolutely not. I, I would never, I would never, ever fucking tell anyone that I'm self-made. I am totally a 100% the product of my 10 closest friends all the time. Here we are. If you don't know, we are sitting here in a sound booth. We're talking into a $4,000 microphone that goes into a $10,000 audio recorder that is 100% provided available for us from the kindness of Frank Costa. That is true. That's hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'm here in Delve Studios because Isaac wants me to succeed 
and he and Eli will pay the rent on this place so that we can sit here for free and do it, right? And so in my history, I feel like I'm just like the squeaky wheel that I kind of, I kind of just like convince my friends to help me work on pitch documents. I convince my friends to help me work on this and that and that. And for whatever relationship we've developed in the past, it's worked and they've, they've found the, the kindness in their own hearts to, to help me out. And I mean, from, from my relationship with you that has taught me how to shoot, direct, write and edit video to Chris Hoyt, who just selflessly takes his digital products and 100% hands them over to me for my success and my leveraging, right? He gets some shoes and some gear out of it, right? But just like totally selfless friends is the only reason that I'm where I am. So if I were to tell a 24-year-old self, um, if I were to give advice to my 24-year-old self, going back on your previous question, I might want to just say like, improve yourself, be humble, be considerate, be as kind as you can be, learn to be the best, most kind, most um, supportive person you can and find the best people, right? Have a really, have a really tight filter on the people that you let really close into your life. And if you, you do that, you're going to, you know, if you surround yourself with people who are awesome and kind and it's like, it's a no brainer. It's easy after that. You're the average of the five people you hang most out with yeah i uh, you've said that for a long time and i do i think that's true i think that's true well getting back to morocco okay, you got the getting, ship funded you're yeah, going getting, there as a production morocco as a production production crew of two yeah <laughs> with you being the athlete chris being like multi-athlete flyer, he's the photographer, photographer. <laughs> i'm the filmmaker editor but he's gonna film it uh-huh. right so so was this like a vacation trip or was it like we're going here to produce this thing, like a serious like production. Honestly, the Morocco trip, and I still think it is the most adventurous thing I've ever done in my whole life. Because at the time when I got that voicemail that Chris was leaving in 12 days, I was busy. We were doing some film project together, you and I. I can't remember exactly what it was. But I pitched that thing to Marmot in the evening, and then they kind of went radio silence trying to figure out if they were going to do it or not. And I was busy. So... It ended up being eight days before the trip departed that they said, yes, we'll give you X amount of money. Right. And I was able to buy my airplane ticket. So with that, I hadn't done any research on Morocco. I hadn't done any research on paragliding there. I hadn't done any research on the culture. And, and when you're in that kind of situation where your knowledge personally, your research is really low, then the things that everyone else says kind of creep in and Morocco is, a, is an Islamic nation and um there's a big history of conflict and the terrain is really unforgiving it's right there at the sahara desert and so i basically left for morocco taking more gear than i ever needed because i was so unsure about what this place was going to be like to the extent that we brought a fucking jet boil and some dehydrated food just in case like under the, you know i had thought like like what's the grocery store look like in morocco you know like i don't know like, dirt and sand yeah what if we what if we like can't find any food to eat or like water to drink like and i was so fucking wrong i was so wrong i, I it was like one of the greatest wrongs of my life. Like one of the greatest pleasant surprises of my life was the beauty 
and the development and the culture that is Morocco. The entire time I was in Morocco, I was just catered to. The culture of service there is amazing. The the places, the riads that you stay, the food that you eat, the people, it's just everything was so easy and catered. And, and here I am, I'm lugging around this luggage with like my sleeping bag and my sleeping pad just in case we you know, run into some hard times. No, man. It's like Morocco is so easy and beautiful. Air, we Airbnb'd our way through the country, you know? It's, um, Do you think you reached your goal in Morocco? With totally. Totally. And what was that? What the goal, the goal was adventure. The goal was the, to go into the unknown and to, to engulf ourselves in the culture and to learn and to meet new people and to fly in new places and to capture it and tell that story. And we've told the th- story through articles and through photo galleries and through this film that we made. And so, yeah, I would say that we totally hit the goal on the head, which was telling the story of our unknown adventure into Morocco. That's super cool. It was so cool. How'd you feel after coming back from that trip, knowing that you got a trip partially funded by one of your sponsors that inspire Uh you to keep moving and keep going on? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think most time, I mean, most any time that you do something that you struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and try to make it and try to make it and try to make it. And then finally you get a little validation. You get a little support. Yeah, definitely. That's like fuel in the tanks, fuel in the tanks, as well as like a, a, an essence of confidence, you know, that, that what I'm doing does have value and that finally someone fucking saw it. And we, we went and we created and the products that we created are amazing. The photos are unbelievable. The film is really engaging and tells a cool story of the culture and experience there. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like it not only filled up my tank, but it gave me confidence to like move on to the next thing. And I feel like there's this whole kind of like new rise and kind of like this, this outdoor adventure scene, you know, you have your podcast, the art of adventure. We, we, you and I grew up when adventure was purely action sports like skiing or snowboarding. There was these big films released every year and that was the only way you could really like view them is to buy them on DVD and watch them and stuff. And then, you know, 2008 happened. And then also with the rise of the internet, it was like this depression slash, um, like financial depression slash like, like technological advancement Mm -hmm. at the same time of being able to share your stories so easily. So it was like for people who wanted to get involved in, in this, this world, it was, it was really confusing on how to go about it and how to actually make money. And, and now it seems like people are starting to figure out like, Oh, like, okay, like this is kind of like the new path I need to go. And there's friends we have out there who are amazing athletes who are crushing it so hard at what they do. And there's, I feel like I watch a couple different paths of what people are, are taking. Could you like, kind of like describe what, what the, the, the art of adventuring, what are the different paths people are taking out there to kind of like pursue this adventurous lifestyle? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I see where you're coming from. Okay. So we talk about adventure as kind of the go outside with a goal that you're not sure you can do (laughs) in a nutshell. Um, 
And which that, for you, it, it usually is something super extreme, like highlining. Yeah, or which for me is something super extreme. But I think for other people, I mean, everyone has a different level of adventure and their own adventuring is at different levels, right? Um, and I think that what we're trying to get at here is that there's a there's there's some people who are going to be so driven to get sponsors and to sustain that adventurous lifestyle directly from the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But I think and that would be kind of like a, a, a sponsored athlete, athlete or... photographer, filmmaker, mm-hmm. something like that, where I think that this podcast really is not made for those people. This podcast is made for the people who work and try to find a balance so that they can adventure as much as, as much as they can. And, and, indefinitely as much as they they want right sustainably so for example if you like for jed anderson jared anderson uh jared anderson dr jared anderson that we had on the podcast he's the perfect example he was an entrepreneur and had a business as a landscaper here in bend and he was a rock climber as a kid and rode mountain bikes and did all this fun stuff that challenged him and engaged him that he loved and then he as a 40 year old man discovered paragliding and he didn't quit his day job. He actually changed his day job. He learned, he became a dentist. And I think that becoming a dentist, he had to put in so much work to even get the degree and to set up the practice and blah, blah, blah. So that that started making money. But then that, 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 uh, career security allowed him to take a risk and adventure into paragliding, which, um, so becomes, it becomes a balance. The art is not how you adventure or how you work to support it. The art then becomes the balance of adventure versus mm-hmm. life. Um, there's other people we know who just don't hardly work and just like live out of their cars or camp or out yeah, the divvies. Totally. And... I, I mean, van life is like, uh, a millennial phenomenon that people are learning. They can just cut their overhead as low as they can do it and travel around and do what they want. And that's a beautiful thing. It's actually funny because like owning a van is better than renting because a van is actually an asset still. Yeah, it might be a depreciating is. asset, but renting a house yeah, it is. is an, or an apartment. That's down the drain. It's just, yeah. But I mean, I think that, you know, like you said, everybody's got a different goal their adventuring goals are different. But if you look at Jared Anderson, he went from learning to paraglide to being the national champion in six years. He was, his mind was set on fire for paragliding. So the art of adventuring is not just for people who want to be professional athletes like no. you, but are and also I don't even for... want to, I mean, I, th- I really like the, the light that you've shown today on the, the back end mm-hmm. of how I've made it happen and how I've made it work. Um, I think that's a great, that's a great, uh, like case study. And I think Jared's case study is so good because that's how he made it work while he had a family and a full-time job and a new career and bought a practice and still became the national champion paraglide pilot. I, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of, of that's the beauty I'm trying to show through this podcast is that you don't have to be a sponsored athlete. That's not the only way, you know, you can be a world-renowned adventurer and a dentist Mm -hmm. you know it's the balance i think people do it in so many different ways that i couldn't even i couldn't even begin to catalog all the different ways that people support their families and support their lifestyles while still pursuing their dreams in the outdoors
there's definitely a rise in this new like adventure lifestyle. And I feel like partially like for us, it was because the snow sucked so bad for so long. Like now we finally have a good snow year. But I remember like <laughs> three seasons in three, a row, three seasons of no backcountry skiing because it just sucked or, you know, there was very little of it. So it's like, oh, are we going to ride the resorts all day? Or are we going to try this new thing that this kid from California came up here and calls highlining? Yeah. We're like, okay, let's go to Smith and try highlining. And we're like in January setting up high lines and it's like 58 50, yeah. degrees. <laughs> it was nice out. out. It was nice out. And we're like, well, skiing sucks, but this is pretty sweet. The global warming thing ain't so bad after all. And I feel like that, like, you know, taking you away from the mountains opened up a lot of new things for us. And so what are some of the like multi-sport activities that you have learned and you are looking forward to learning? Okay. First, before I even talk about that, I want to just highlight what you just said. I think you hit the nail on the head right there where by in taking myself away from the mountain, which as a, at the time really, really excited and stoked professional skier to take me away from the mountain and make me learn something new because of atmospheric conditions really opened up more opportunities than what would have transpired had I just been at the mountain doing laps in the park and building jumps and that kind of thing. And I think that the multi-sport aspect that I've brought into my life or that's come into my life in the last number of years is the, that is the, the turning point maybe that you were asking about earlier. The learning new sports made me realize what I loved about skiing, which it wasn't only the sensations of the activity. It was the progression. It was the learning. It was the self-growth and the self-betterment and, and dreaming up new things and getting scared and committing to trying them and crashing or failing or, you know, like trying again, right? That kind of opportunity. I think that the multi-sport aspect really was that, that turning point. And I feel like when we, when I learned to highline that winter, it opened my mind to learning. You know, I've always been a learner, but that was just like a really visceral lesson that I was a competent person that liked to learn and I could learn things quickly. Do you remember what you told me the first time you saw someone highlining or the first time you tried highlining? I don't, I don't know what I told you. I remember the first time I saw someone highline and just thinking that like I was going to be that person. Like I was really? going to do that. I remember you telling me after you tried saying that you don't think you can do it. Ah. Do you remember telling me that story? Yeah, I think I do. Yeah. I um, And I think the back side of that story was um, my friend Sam Bailiot. Shout out to Sam. He called me one Wednesday and he said, hey, this weekend is the Smith Rock Highland Festival. We should... We should go set up a slack line in the park and practice chongo mounting, which is how you stand up in the line without using the ground. But we, we should practice our mounts and we should go out there. I was like, all right. And so we spent two days in the park trying to teach ourselves how to mount the line without touching it. And then I went out to the Smith Rock Highline Festival and I just tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and, tried and fell. And, and I faced my fears really quickly and I whipped into my leash right away and I just fell and fell and fell all weekend. Just like I got on 10 different lines every day and just fell and fell and fell and I couldn't do it. And Sam was able to do it that weekend. He was able to walk across his first high line and I wasn't anywhere, not even close, not even remotely close. And yeah, I do remember that. I remember having that realization of, huh, 
have I found the, have I found the sport that I, even though I want to do it, I just can't, maybe I can't do this. That wasn't, that was a great realization, right? That's a great, that's a great position to put yourself in. And I think what you do with that realization, that's, that's the make or break right there. Like, can I do it? I don't know if I can do it. Do you then just totally quit your fucking job and just live on a slack line until you know you can or you can't? Well, I would think a lot of people would give up. They would. Yeah, I agree. Like, because it is, you know, that's, that's the, that's the make or break right there. Do you, do you pursue it and just face the fact that maybe you can't and that you want to beat that fact or do you just quit at the the overwhelming challenge yeah i think you're the type of person that when you see a challenge that physically that you can't do you get super upset and you're like <laughs> he's doing it i'm an idiot <laughs> like i'm gonna try to figure this what thing the out fuck am i doing wrong <laughs> I mean, I could talk, we could talk forever and ever and ever and ever about highlighting all these other sports, which we're going to have to save for more episodes because it's already 56 minutes into this podcast. That's true. So we're going to have to end it. I'm sorry, Ari. Time flies when you're having fun. Well, I can't wait to do another Upside Down episode with you. (laughs) I love the Upside Down episode. Wow. Wow. It was really good. You asked really good questions. And I love answering questions. Well, we hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. And thank you, Wes, for being the first ever guest host. You guys are so welcome. Everyone's so welcome. Okay, go ahead. Sign us off, Wes. You're the host today. Everyone, thanks for listening to the Upside Down episode of The Art of Adventuring, the Airy Nair podcast hosted by Wes Coughlin. <laughs> we will see you next week promptly at what time is your podcast launch? Don't No, we don't do that kind of structure. We're free-flowing around here. We'll see you guys soon. It's an RSS feed. It'll pop up on your phone when it's out. Make sure you check out. Subscribe. Subscribe. Check out. Bivy.tv. Bivy.tv. Delve.media. Delve.media. Airyandtheair.com. Airyandtheair.com. Westdayever.com. If you want to see Wes's career portfolio, Westdayever.com. Maybe some magic tricks. Yeah, some magic tricks. (laughs) And definitely subscribe and leave a review because that's what iTunes wants for this to explode. But then again, who cares, right? Because we're just going to do it for the fun of doing it. And you can honestly just leave five stars with a really good joke. And yeah, that's true. And we, that would, that's true. That would be actually better than a review if you could just make some entertaining piece of content in your copy. Thanks, guys. Yeah, let's just go ahead and make our first giveaway here. The best <laughs> joke in the comment section of the iTunes podcast is going to get it's a, a free car. A free, <laughs> a free car. A new Airy car Subaru. <laughs> new car for you. No, uh, you get a keen a keen shoe card. Any any pair of keens you want. Best best joke in the iTunes. Ooh. <laughs> it also gonna, has to come with a subscription and a five-star rating though. I'm going to get you don't under ra- a if you don't subscribe name. and write a, or uh, and post a five-star thing with the joke, then you're ineligible. But the best joke is going to get a, a a keen pair of shoes why can't netflix uh have a girlfriend why because he's such a player (laughs) (laughs) nice that's great that's great (laughs)
<laughs> one who told me that yes. a 14 year old volleyball girl yesterday oh of course, of course. I laughed so hard uh, why you're hanging out with 14 year old volleyball girls we'll save for another episode great yeah please do <laughs> okay see you later Bye. thanks Wes